the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm your host, Nunzio Signore, looking to bring you great dialogue with some of the best in the world of player development. The world of training baseball players has changed dramatically during the past few years, and I'm looking forward to shedding some light here on what's the latest, what's the best, and what's really happening in the world of player development. Thanks for joining me for the ride. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Before we begin, I want to tell you about our new remote training programs here at RPP. We've been offering remote training for quite some time, but we always required athletes to come in-house for assessments. Now, we can do the whole assessment online, and we're really excited about bringing all of our services, pitching, hitting, and strength training, to your doorstep. So if you like what we do and how we do it, check it out on our website at rocklandpeakperformance.com under remote training in the toolbar. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Behind the Seams Podcast. I'm Nunzio Signori and today I'm flying solo and I thought maybe today would be a good day to talk about the way we profile pitchers when they come in for a baseline assessment. With the off season getting ready to come around the corner in the fall, I thought it would be a good time to stress the importance of make sure you're getting assessed If you're a thrower or if you're a position player, and make sure it covers all bases and is baseball specific. In the past, we've taken great pride in the thoroughness of our baseline assessment with our athletes. But recently, we've changed the way we've been assessing to what we believe will help us increase the percentage of players that we can positively impact performance-wise. The light bulb first went off for this while I was speaking with Graham Lehman a few years back. Uh, we were both presenting at Pitchapalooza. If you don't know Graham Lehman, I highly suggest you look him up. I did a podcast with him as well. He is a really smart guy and is loaded with a lot of great content. So you can go to GrahamLehman.com and look on his website. But Graham described a profile to me while we were at lunch that he was using on the field that He said helped coaches perform some simple tests that would help them better understand the athlete in front of them and help them coach more efficiently. The assessment that Graham showed me was great and was comprised mostly of three types of movements related to baseball. They were jumping, running, and throwing. And while these are the big three when it comes to testing athletic ability, I felt that devising an assessment that uses these principles but takes advantage to having all the data and training equipment available to us here at RPP would be a great addition to our program. For example, testing these athletic movements like jumping, running, and throwing are key, but Testing exercises in strength like the squat, the bench, and the deadlift and other exercises in the weight room are huge players in helping to improve someone's results of these tests that ultimately will help them improve their athleticism as well. So with the help of Graham on the field testing and the constant back and forth on the phone with him and my head strength coach Zach Kohler and myself being in the trenches testing over the past few years – we created the additional tests that we felt we could perform based off of the availability of our in-house equipment and data testing. And lastly, to my partner, Baram Shirazi, this would not be possible um, for taking all the info and create a template that allowed us to streamline the assessment, like really to the, like the nth degree. 
I thought that by creating this assessment based off of grams, um, my strength and conditioning coaches would be able to help a larger number of pitchers by understanding that these athletes all have different physical traits and physical strategies based off their individual athletic traits in order to achieve elite velocities and success on the mound and behind the plate. So I wanted to talk about it a little bit today and answer a few questions that I constantly get on it. Like, why do we use it? Why do I believe that it's a more efficient way of assessing than has always been done or how we've been doing it? First of all, in a sport like baseball, and even more specifically pitching, there is such a wide variety in the size, strength, and mobility of various pitchers that can be elite throwers. Some guys are studs in the weight room. Some look like they've never even seen a weight. Some guys are tight while others are loose. Some are tall, over 6'4". Some are shorter, under 6 feet. I, I believe the average pitcher in college and in the MLB is approximately between 6'2 and 6'4 and weighs approximately 200 to 210 pounds. It's basically different strokes for different folks, and guys go about it at different ways. Look at Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman is 5'7", 180 pounds, and Chris Sale is 6'6", almost a foot taller, and is 183 pounds. So... Both of these guys have elite velocities, but go about it in two different ways. And a lot of this has to do with how they handle both their attributes as well as their shortcomings in order to be more athletic. This assessment, we feel, does a great job helping coaches figure out what type of athlete they have in front of them and what changes need to be made to give them more of what they need, basically what we call the lowest hanging fruit, while not taking away, and this is important, what they're already good at. If we've got a really elastic guy and he needs to get stronger, we want to get him stronger, but we do not want to do it at the expense of taking away his elasticity. And by the same token, if we've got a guy like Marcus Stroman, who's a bit stiffer and strong as hell, and we want to get him a little bit more elastic, we want to do it without taking away that strength that helps him produce more force and be more explosive. Second question is, where do we get our numbers from? How do we know what's good? How do we know what's not acceptable? The numbers used in our assessment represent the high and low end ranges of data that I've gathered with my strength and conditioning coaches over the years, as well as conversations I've had with Graham in regard to research performed by him in many of the areas in the assessment. And Graham has a lot of information on this. And once again, none of this would be possible without his input. Every segment of the baseball population from high school, college to pro are represented in the norms that I've used to create this spreadsheet. Because of that, this tool is best used for 16 and over. And we have two versions, one for 16 to 18 year olds and one for 18 to 24 year olds, baseball players specifically. And baseball players specifically is important to mention. We still perform many of the clinical PT-based assessments and the table assessments, which I still do feel are extremely important. We've added many that are simply more closely related to baseball performance. So let's get into the weeds a bit with this. So I'm going to talk about a couple of the topics and the, and the metrics that we test and, and try and talk about why I feel they're important and um, how they relate to the pitching delivery. The first one is anthropometrics. Anthropometrics is a term used to describe the physical measurements of an individual's size. The measurement tells us about the athlete's overall frame. We wouldn't tell a short pitcher to train and throw the same way as a tall pitcher. They go about it different ways due to those long lever arms. For example, once again, while a pitcher like Stroman or Chris Sale both produce elite velocities, they go about it two different ways at two completely different frames. Chris Sale generally has longer limbs, 
more mobility, more flexible with laxity, and generally weaker from a strength standpoint in the weight room. And that's just, that's not an absolute, but because of those long lever arms, it's really, really hard for these guys to get into good hinges and, and, and really efficient positions to really put up a lot of weight. Guys that are generally shorter, have shorter limbs, while they are a little bit less mobile and less elastic, they're much stronger in the weight room due to those shorter levers and being closer to the ground and having their center of gravity be closer to the ground. It's also really important to understand that anthropometrics is the least trainable trait. It becomes the major factor to base the training program around in both the weight room and on the mound. We are not looking for really tall, elastic guys to be putting up the kind of numbers in the weight room that we're looking at somebody that's, say, 5'11", 190 pounds, whose center of gravity is closer to the ground. So if these attributes are less trainable... Why even test them? Well, it tells us a lot about how we can talk to them in regards to the mechanics and in the weight room. So we explain the weight room. As far as mechanics go, taller guys generally have longer legs and shorter torsos, where our shorter guys generally have longer torsos and shorter legs. This is going to affect, for example, how far they lean over with their upper body in order to get into a proper hinge when starting to load their lower half. As far as stride length goes, we're not going to look for the same stride length with a shorter pitcher, obviously, that we are with a taller one due to his long lever arms and his long legs. So trying to get a guy to stride out his body length isn't always the case. He might be pushing himself off the rubber vaulting and you know creating a more linear pattern instead of getting rotational. And with those long limbs, a taller pitcher has the potential for higher throwing velocity because he's able to produce force for a longer period of time with those long limbs. But a shorter athlete has the ability to actually create more force in his throw over a shorter period of time. So it's just how they go about doing it, different strokes for different folks. The second thing we look at is mobility. When we got them on the table as far as their movement strategies go, we look at hip internal and external rotation. We look at shoulder internal and external rotation. We look at T-spine rotation, T-spine extension. We look at ankle mobility. You simply cannot generate the power and perform at your highest potential in these kind of positions that pitchers get in without adequate mobility in all the right places. And more is not always better. Once again, with our taller, looser athletes, longer limbs, too much mobility can create instability and a lack of control in their mechanics as well and increase their chance of injury. Where with our shorter guys, they generally have a tendency to be tighter movers. That can also work to their advantage by being a tighter mover, but they can also maybe benefit more from getting some more mobility so they're not stressing out their joints too much from not having a good amount of mobility and kicking that arm into layback when they actually are pretty tight. And these results can tell us a lot as far as, for example, hip ER and IR. If a guy is biased to ER, that's going to change the way we might ask him to load his back leg. Once again, if we've got a guy throwing 95, 96 miles an hour, we're not really changing anything. For a guy who's looking to get to the next level and he's not happy where he is, this could be a quick fix as far as how he positions his back foot in regard to how much mobility he has in ER or IR and how he positions that back leg 
and orients that back foot in order to uh, get down the mound better. And at the same token, a player with front hip IR and is lacking IR in the front hip, we need to improve that or we need to change the way he lands because he's not going to have enough internal rotation to actually decelerate his arm and he's going to get a slam and, and up on that posterior cuff and posterior elbow. I've found generally that the shorter, stronger guys, they're great in the weight room. Guys love to do what they do well. And the shorter, stockier guys love to lift and hate doing mobility work. And the taller, more elastic guys, they love doing mobility work and jumping and really can't stand getting in the weight room and trying to get down into a deadlift. But to sum it up on the mobility side, we're really looking for good available capacity through hips, shoulders, and thoracic spine, sufficient scapular upward rotation and stability, and good core control. Are they a tight or loose mover? And remembering that more is not always better. These guys who have too much, they really need a good dose of strength training. Next up is strength. Being strong is good, but how strong you really need to be is dependent upon what type of athlete you are. So... That 6'5 pitcher who's really tall and has a lot of laxity, he doesn't really need as much strength because he produces most of his velocity through elasticity. And for the short, strong guys, if you're already strong enough, then maybe you should focus on getting faster with other types of strength, which we're going to talk about when we get into the power section. But you absolutely need to train strength, whether you're tall or whether you're short. You need to put on lean muscle mass. It's going to help you produce more power. It's also the type of strength that all other type of strengths are built on. So we're going to get stronger. We're going to get more explosive. We're going to get faster. We're going to increase our speed. We just need to know that we're not getting what we call diminishing returns. When a guy gets strong enough, then we need to start working on more of the velocity side of, of power on the force velocity curve. We test our guys on a deadlift. We test them on a bench for upper body, and we test them on a single leg squat. We actually don't test the bilateral squat anymore because a lot of guys' limiting factors are their lower back. So we've started testing single leg squat on our lower half testing along with deadlift. We feel it's more sports specific, and we feel it really tells us a better story about what's going on with the lower half. Really with our guys, how, how hard we load them is going to depend on their limb length, their mobility. Are they lax? Are they tight? Their training age. And by taking these factors into account, we can get our guys strong, as strong as they actually need to be. And finally, it really helps to avoid injury by being able to help them disperse this stress. I always tell my guys, muscle is like a shock absorber when you come down and you land on the mound. If you don't have enough muscle to help you absorb that stress, you can get rattled a little bit. And if you rattle in the lower half, you're going to rattle in the upper half. And that's going to move the arm around and that's going to possibly make bad things happen. The next part of the testing that we do is upper body and lower body power production. Power is basically the combination of strength and speed, whether it be throwing, hitting, or running all power initiates in the core. People think it comes from the ground up. It starts in the core, goes down to the ground. It sends it to the ground. And then the ability to take it from the ground and bring it back up the chain is key. Transferring to the lower body um, and up into the kinetic chain and ultimately into the arms and hands is what I'm saying. We test lower body power along with lateral power because it's the biggest determining factor for throwing velocity, as well as first step quickness and change of direction abilities for our position players. As far as upper body power goes, it's also a great indicator as to how fast we can produce strength up top. 
This is directly uh, correlated to trunk rotation, as well as harder and faster transfer from layback to internal rotation and pronation during the throw and at release. Upper body power allows us to maximize the highest amount of power that's being transferred from the lower body. Once it gets to the upper body, our upper body power takes over. This is one metric that a lot of our pitchers perform poorly on. And we can use reverse med ball throws, but that's a bit of a pain in the butt, especially in the off season when it's freezing outside up here in the Northeast. Um, so with the introduction of the Proteus Motion Machine, we now can measure power production in the upper half as well. This has been a game changer, especially when it comes comes to assessing and training rotation athletes like position players and pitchers. For our lower half testing, we use a CMJ jump and a squat jump. We want to see power-wise how well an athlete uses their stretch shortening cycle. In a CMJ jump, they're going to put their hands on their waist and they're going to come down and back up. I try to explain to them, pretend like you're going up for a rebound. And then we're going to have them do the same exact jump to the same depth with a two or three second hold. And once we hold this for two or three seconds, the eccentric strength that they've developed coming down dissipates out of the body as heat. So that two to three second hold, that next jump is a complete muscular jump with very little use of their stretch shortening cycle. And what we look for is a really well-balanced athlete is able to use his stretch shortening cycle and muscular force. So we're looking for that CMJ jump to always be 10 to 15% higher due to the use of that stretch shortening cycle than the squat jump. And if we do not see that, then we know we've got a guy who relies more on muscular force. This guy needs to do more plyometric training and needs to do a lot more faster lifting. This is also the, the usually the shorter, stockier, stronger guy that we find generally has a really great deadlift. On the upper half, we take them to the Proteus Motion Machine. We do a trunk rotation with a counter and a non-counter trunk rotation. This allows to tell us how well they use their stretch shortening cycle in a rotational upper body movement. This is something that we wait on for about a week or two because there is a learning curve with the Proteus. So we put it in their initial uh, strength training program regardless so they can get good at the movement because we don't want our baselines to be so skewed that we see 20% gains in like three weeks, you know, because the learning curve on the Proteus is really fast. So we have guys do it two or three times for about a week, a week and a half, and then they test. We have a better baseline, a more accurate baseline of what's really going on with them rotational-wise in their upper body. What this tells us about what we need in our training program is these really tight, non-elastic athletes, they need more plyometric training in their lower half and plyometric training in their upper half with either med ball work or really rapid, we use rapid med ball chest passes. Sometimes a guy needs more strength in his lower half and more elasticity in his upper half. That's the beauty of being able to test things differently because you'd be, you know, you go into a weight room and, and baseball teams are just, they're training plyometrics right across the board and some guys really need to get stronger before they're starting to do reactive hydens. Guys get good at what they do. And if they're doing something poorly, they're getting good at doing it poorly. One last thing on the power front, by getting peak power output based off their body weight and how high they're jumping on those CMJ and squat jumps, we also can check their peak power output. And then when we reassess, we need to see those numbers going up. If we're training a guy and his power output in his lower half is not going up, there's something wrong and we need to address it as soon as possible. And I can't recommend the Proteus Motion enough. Uh, we have seen jumps in an off-season from 12 to 20% in our guys. 
basically around 15% in the way they develop rotational power in their upper half. Next thing on the agenda in our assessment is elasticity, checking that elasticity. We check it with a lateral jump. We use the same concept of a CMJ in a squat, except we do it with a Hyden off the back leg. Graham Lehman calls that a load and go and a static. The static is that two to three second hold. Once again, we were looking for that for the athlete to jump further with his load and go by using his stretch shortening cycle. If we don't see that, we know this guy likes to load and move in the frontal plane with more muscular force. And how we relate this to pitching mechanics sometimes is a guy that really uses his stretch shortening cycle well, and he's, he's got a, a higher jump with that load and go. This is a guy that maybe uh, needs to drift a little bit more and load later because he has a quick elastic load. For our guys that like to use muscular force, they're be probably better slower loaders, like, like a Marcus Stroman, where they'll sit down and hinge at the top and really sit into that hinge and come down slower into that, keep more weight in that back leg for a longer period of time. The next test we do is fascinating. It's, it's, it's our newest test, and it tests how well an athlete decelerates their front leg and their plyometric ability for our position players and their use of their stretch shortening cycle ability. And we use a single leg drop jump, and we use a four-inch drop to simulate the depth that a guy drops off the mound from the rubber to an average of a six foot two landing. We'll have the athlete step off a four inch drop in the frontal plane, turn and land on a force plate. He'll have him jump straight up in the air. We'll get contact time and flight time and that will create a single leg RSI. And based off that number, that allows us to see if an athlete has the decelerative properties to actually land flat-footed with his foot. I know this is the optimal way we try to teach pitchers to land, but especially younger guys, a lot of times they just don't have the strength yet to actually decelerate their body with a flat-foot landing. For these guys and for our longer, leaner guys who have long lever arms and maybe not as strong, you'll see guys land heel first or sometimes even toe first. That's okay. We'll continue to try to get them stronger, but for the time being, a flat foot landing might just create too much leakage from them taking too much time to stabilize when they land. So what we do with our front leg RSI with our pitchers, we may have them experiment with landing differently. If we see a really strong guy that's landing with his heel, we might say, hey man, you can get some better deceleration and you can, might be able to send it up the chain a little quicker if you land flat. Whereas if we see a guy with really poor deceleration, um, we're going to work on that. But while we're working on that, let's see if we can get um, make some really good changes with you with maybe uh, we see him landing flat and we see that knee f pulling forward or we just see a really slow post-up time on our mocap. That will tell us a lot about whether this athlete needs to land flat or whether he needs to land heel first. And like I said, you know, on the mobility front, we can tell back foot orientation. On the elasticity, do we want a guy to load fast or slow? On this decel with the front foot or anthropometrics with long legs and a short torso, you might want to lean over a little bit more while loading. These are all suggestions. These are not absolutes, but I will tell you that we find a lot of the time that we make quick, rapid changes that really benefit our guys. We've got a couple more. The next one is speed. Although this is a measurement generally associated with position players, and we take it 
very seriously with our position players. We believe that it provides us with good measurements for overall athleticism, which is important for pitchers as well. While we do keep this low on the totem pole for pitchers, a good dose of speed is really, really beneficial for a pitcher as well. We test this with a 5.10.5 shuttle and a 30-yard dash. Obviously, the 30-yard dash can only be done in the spring and summer and fall. The the winter, when we're reassessing, uh, we leave the 30-yard dash out in the Northeast. The final and probably the most important thing we test is height and weight ratio and body fat percentage. Graham had turned me on to a study from 2019 to 2021 of uh, 39 Major League Baseball pitchers with at least 15 in- innings pitched to average 96 plus miles per hour. Of them, only seven were listed under 200 pounds and only two under 185. They mostly had between 12 and 15% body fat and lean body weight is always a contributing factor to throwing velocity. We look at lean body, uh, lean body mass and weight to height ratio, as well as their lateral jump testing for their elasticity. These are two of the highest correlations to throwing velocity and two of the tests that we really take high stock in. We basically look for 2.5 to 3 times their height in inches in pounds. So once we're done, what does this all mean? Well, it means a lot. The summary report tells us a lot about where the lowest hanging fruit lies. What happens is we will get a bar graph of all of the categories that we tested and anything that's under that 80th percentile, we know are things that we immediately want to address. And with different athletes, it's obviously different things. And this is the beauty of how we can pinpoint and individualize an assessment so quickly. We basically can generate this report the minute they're done their last test. An even greater thing is that you can look at this at a glance and see where your shortcomings are and where your attributes are. We found this to be really, really helpful with our pitchers where we can bring them into the office or bring them into the tunnel. We can show them the results of their assessment pretty much as soon as they're done doing the assessment. And we can say, listen, this is what we're going to work on in the weight room. This is how we're going to look at your mechanics a little bit. We're going to try some things. And by looking at this graph, they get instant autonomy in understanding what they need to do. And this goes a long way in getting buy-in from these guys. So once again, it's different strokes for different folks, guys. I'm not saying that making these mechanical adjustments will always be the right thing to do, but you'll know quickly if a change is working. If it's not, business as usual. But if it is, I can't emphasize the importance of giving an athlete what they need. We don't need to have guys coming in the weight room and doing stuff that they're good at. They're already good at it. We need to spend that time working on what they need to actually work on. And for every athlete, that's something different. This fall, if you're going to check out a place to train and they're not doing an assessment or they're doing a really fast one, turn around and run. It's really the only way to get an accurate blueprint of what we need to do, both in the weight room and in the tunnel. So that's it, guys. Uh, If you want to reach me, you can reach me on Twitter, at Nunzio Signore, or you can reach my facility on Twitter, at RPP underscore baseball. That's also on Instagram, at RPP underscore baseball. Our website is rocklandpeakperformance.com. And I have a book out on velocity-based training, how to apply science, technology, and data to maximize performance. It's released by Human Kinetics, and you can get it on Amazon as well. I hope this shed a little bit of light on what to expect at an assessment and how we go about assessing athletes. Please stop by the facility if you can. Check us out on our website. We also have remote training available. And until then, stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Seams Podcast.
See you around.